You're listening to a sermon podcast from Agape Baptist Church, recorded live from our Sunday service. The word of the Lord uh, this morning uh, comes from Ruth chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 22. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So he sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative, Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair, impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have, brought, I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Abinadab. Abinadab fathered Nashan, Nashan fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. This is the word of the Lord. A very good morning, everyone. The Lord bless all of you and wherever you are in your homes. Today we, are, we have come to the final chapter of Ruth, and this chapter is all about longing. So for me, I remember from when I was a young boy, my longing was to become a professional football player. And that was mainly because I, I liked playing football. 
But along the way, I realized that uh, there's a lot of training involved, sweating, running, and after a while, that longing kind of fizzled out, right? So pretty fickle. Huh? But some of our longings are like that, but some others of our longings are more legitimate, right? So when we find that these longings aren't fulfilled, there's kind of like a hole that develops in our hearts. Personally, I have a longing to be a father, um, a good father. And I imagine that if for some reason I can't become a father, or if I turn up being a lousy dad, um, I think that that unfulfilled longing uh, would probably break my heart and my spirit. Now, I'm sure all of us have these legitimate longings. Uh, for many of us, you probably realize that the more you age and the older you get, uh, many of these longings you find go unfulfilled. And so today, I want to just lead us to look at our unfulfilled longings. All right, there it goes. So we're going to look at three things. The obstacle to fulfill longings, the payment for fulfilled longings, and the satisfaction of fulfilled longings. All right, so the obstacle to fulfill longings, the payment for fulfilled longings, the satisfaction of fulfilled longings. So let's look at the first point, the obstacle to fulfilled longings. So our journey with Ruth began way back in the country of Moab, and then it took us to the city of Bethlehem, and then we found ourselves in um, Boaz's fields and threshing floor. Well, today, the story brings us to the city gate where Boaz is seated. Now, the city gate area was like an open-air courthouse for the city, all right? The gate was a place for legal transactions and legal disputes. So essentially, Boaz is now in court. But who was Boaz seeing in court today? And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz has spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. So this is very like a, like a stenographer reporting Right? This person said this, and then this person did this. And what we learn is that Boaz's opponent in court is this mysterious redeemer who heard about, whom we heard about in Ruth chapter 3. And this is the redeemer who was a closer relative to Ruth than Boaz himself. So now that both men are in court, Boaz then invites 10 elders of the city to preside over this legal dispute, pretty much like a, like a panel of judges we could say. But what was this legal dispute about? So Boaz clarifies this in verse 3. Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So the first part of this dispute is about land and property. So the land belonging to their relative Elimelech, and for those of you who, who have forgotten, uh, Elimelech is Naomi's husband who has now already died, right? And his property is now being put on sale, and this is a big deal. You see, at that time, if your relative becomes bankrupt and has to sell his land, his home, his property, your family and your extended family, they had the duty to purchase this land to keep it within the family, all right? And, and when that relative's son, when he has... Uh, grown up, this rightful heir to the property, uh, when he has become old enough, he would inherit that land 
again. But on the other hand, if this piece of land is sold to someone outside your family, then all the effort and money and blood that your ancestors put into securing that piece of land would have all amounted to nothing. And you would have put your family's name to shame. But more than that, you would have also jeopardized the future of your relative's family. Because where would their future generations live if you've already stole, uh, sold their land away to someone else? And so this is where the Redeemer comes into the picture. The Redeemer was the man with the closest family connection to the one who was selling the land. And so now that Elimelech's property is on sale, Boaz tells this Redeemer, buy it. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. So this Redeemer has the closest relationship to Elimelech. And so he gets the first shot at purchasing this land. Now, Boaz's chance to purchase the land would only come if this Redeemer decides not to buy it himself. But, unfortunately, the Redeemer immediately responds and says, Yes, I will purchase this land. I will redeem it. And there's no hesitation. And the reason for this is because Elimelech has no sons, has no grandsons. Essentially, he has no heir. All right? H-E-I-R, no heir. All right? Which means the land would now forever belong to whoever redeems it and his own descendants. Right? You can think of it like uh, our HDB housing. Right? After 99 years, it goes back to the government. Now imagine if someone uh, offers you a house built on freehold land, right? land that is, uh, would effectively belong to you, and he's selling it to you at the same price as a HDB house. Now, of course, you want to buy it. It's a once-in-a-lifetime deal. And that's how this Redeemer felt. But this is where Boaz very shrewdly brings up the second part of this legal dispute. He says, the day you buy this field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. So Boaz is saying, wait, 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 all right? Hold on for a minute before you sign on the dotted line. Let me tell you what's in the fine print, okay? If you want the property, well, you will also need to take responsibility to produce an heir on behalf of Elimelech, your relative. So if you want this land, well, you have got to marry Ruth. Now, again, this is probably a very unfamiliar tradition to us, right? So at that time, the Redeemer's role wasn't just to keep the land within the family. The Redeemer's role was also to keep the family line going. All right, today, you know, you, if you die without children, it may not be that big of a deal, right? Our society is more individualistic. Dying without kids, I mean, might be a bit sad, uh, but it's not that big of a deal to us. But at that time, to be without any son to continue your family legacy, now that was interpreted as God having cursed you and having cut off your name from the face of the earth. And so the Redeemer had a responsibility to redeem the honor of the dead man by marrying the widow and producing a son, an heir, on behalf 
of the dead relative. So in Elimelech's case, since he died without any heir, and since Naomi is too old to have any children, the Redeemer would have to marry Ruth to produce an heir in Elimelech's name. And when this heir finally comes of age, he would inherit all of Elimelech's property from this Redeemer. And so right now, as you hear this, you realize that actually being a Redeemer doesn't seem very profitable after all. And so this Redeemer makes a U-turn and he says, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. The Redeemer is saying, you want me to marry a Moabite? No thanks. You want me to spend money on an inheritance that I have to eventually return? No thanks. You want me to spend money from my own son's inheritance on someone else's son? No thanks. This is totally not worth it. All right, I'm not going to fulfill my role as a redeemer. And so if not for Boaz, the Elimelech family line would have now come to an end. Right? Naomi and Ruth would be stuck in poverty. Ruth would forever be an isolated foreigner in Israel. And all because someone with the power to help decided that these two women were not worth the trouble. Isn't this a picture of the world we live in? Families fight over inheritance, but no one wants to look after the elderly widow left behind. When it comes to personal gain, suddenly the law is black and white. But when sacrifices are legally required of us, suddenly the law becomes gray and unclear. Right? This is the world we live in. A self-serving, commercial world filled with self-serving, commercial redeemers. Now parents, parents become commercial redeemers when they require top grades from their children before showing them the approval that their kids long for. Friends become commercial redeemers when they require a good time before they grant one another the companionship that they all long for. Christians, we become commercial redeemers when we require theological correctness and spotless living before we extend the fellowship that all sinners long for. But you see, the problem is not so much that this world is filled with commercial redeemers. The real problem is that we have put our hope in such a world. The obstacle to our fulfilled longings is not these commercial redeemers. Rather, the obstacle to our fulfilled longings is our misplaced faith in these commercial redeemers. So we find that we subscribe to this commercial mindset. We buy into the commercial system of this world. And so in the end, our longings go unfulfilled because we were never worth someone's trouble. And at the same time, we fail to fulfill the longings of those around us because we too have decided that the longings of these people are not worth our trouble. But if you think about it, it is completely by the grace of God that Ruth and Naomi happen to stumble into Boaz and not into this commercial redeemer. And so a question for all of us to consider, who are these Boazes that God has put in your life? 
And at the same time, who or what are the commercial redeemers that you have been relying upon? Jesus in the New Testament says that it is better to give than to receive. And so are you a commercial redeemer who looks mainly to receive? What do you require of others? What are the conditions that you have set before you before you will decide to meet the needs and longings of others? People, let's not put our faith in this world's commercial idea of a redeemer. And with that, we come to our second point, the payment for fulfilled longings. By the end of verse 6, the commercial redeemer is unwilling to fulfill his duty. So he looks to Boaz to take on this very unprofitable responsibility. And so the redeemer hands his sandal to Boaz, which is like how perhaps you and I would uh, sign a legal document. And at the same time, he hands over his right as redeemer. And so as the new redeemer, Boaz now turns to the elders and at that, by that point, uh, a crowd of interested witnesses have, have also gathered around and Boaz declares, I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. Boaz is saying that everything that belonged to the Elimelech sorry, the Elimelech family is now his. And then Boaz continues, also Ruth, the Moabite, I have bought to be my wife. So Boaz proves himself to be a true redeemer, a covenantal redeemer. Two times, Boaz says that he will buy, he will pay the price necessary to redeem this unprofitable family. You realize, though, that the passage doesn't tell us how much he has to pay or even when he actually makes that payment. But this only goes to show that just taking in Naomi and Ruth would be costly enough for Boaz. And we see this costliness in verse 10, where Boaz says, Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. By reminding everyone of Ruth's ethnicity, Boaz was saying that he would absorb Ruth's disgrace and history as a Moabite woman. By mentioning her status as the widow of Malon, Boaz is saying he will absorb the risk of himself dying if it so happens that Ruth is somehow under some kind of a divine curse or judgment uh, that actually got her ex-husband killed. By stating that he will bear a son to continue Elimelech's family name, Boaz is saying that he, will, he is willing to sacrifice his own name. As the Redeemer, Boaz's first son with Ruth will bear the Elimelech name and the Elimelech inheritance. Boaz's own family name, that will only be passed on through his second son. But if you remember Ruth was childless in her first marriage, and Boaz himself is also a much older man. The chances of them having any children, much less two sons, it seems very, very unlikely. But nevertheless, Boaz absorbs this risk. And finally, Boaz also promises to fulfill not only the longings of the family members who are alive, but also the longings of those 
who have died. And that is that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. Boaz will redeem the longings of the dead to be remembered and to be honored in the land of the living. And he will do this by continuing the family line for another generation. Boaz will take on these incredible responsibilities. And as the elders and witnesses, as they witness this, they show their affirmation, they show their approval, and they acknowledge Boaz's redemption. And then they also go on in verses 11 and 12 to bless Ruth and the household of Boaz. But in their blessing, they name three very strange women, Rachel, Leah, and Tamar. Now, these three women have two things in common. Number one, their sons were very important men in the history of Israel. But number two, these women all have stories of unusual, often tragic longing. Rachel, she so desperately longed for children that she screamed at her husband, give me children or I die. Leah so desperately longed for her husband's love that she gave all six of her sons names that reflected her longing for her husband. Tamar so desperately longed for security that she slept with her own father-in-law and became pregnant with his twins. Now we wonder, why, why did these witnesses mention these three women who had such complicated histories? Why did they mention them as they blessed Boaz? And I think the reason for this is because they recognized that this new family that Boaz was starting, it was going to be a complicated family. And again, this just goes to show how much Boaz was taking all kinds of risks shouldering all kinds of baggage and absorbing all kinds of costs in order to redeem the Elimelech family and to marry Ruth. But the beautiful thing is that for the sake of the longing of both the living and the dead, Boaz willingly sacrifices himself nevertheless. And here's the truth that Boaz embodies. Someone else needs to sacrifice to pay for our longings. Now, if we could satisfy our longings on our own, we would have already done so. But the truth is, we can't, right? We, there's some kind of dysfunction, some kind of baggage that prevents us from doing this. And so you might really long for peace in your family. But every time you step into your house, something triggers you and you lose it. Maybe you really long to be a more social and outgoing person, but every time you meet new people, the anxieties you have, they cause you to remain silent. Now, we have all kinds of longings, but sadly, with those longings comes all kinds of dysfunctions. And the more we fail to satisfy these longings, the more time we waste, the more we worsen our relationships with others, the more regrets we pile up. And at some point, we come to the place of, of Naomi in chapter 1, that our lives are mara, bitter, and empty. 
But just as Boaz absorbs that bitterness and emptiness in Naomi's life, we too need someone to willingly sacrifice him or herself in order to absorb our baggage and dysfunction, our bitterness and our emptiness. We need a redeemer who would sacrifice to pay for our longings. Do you have such a person in your life? And are you yourself that kind of a sacrificial redeemer to someone else? The story is told of Martin Luther, the great reformer, and how in the early 1500s, he smuggled 12 nuns out of a convent. So these nuns had come to a biblical understanding and a biblical longing for marriage and motherhood. So Luther smuggled them out and he gets all of them married, all of them except for one lady. Her name was Katharina von Bora. She was strong-willed, obstinate, opinionated, proud, and no one wanted to marry her. Even Luther didn't like her very much. But Luther saw how pitifully abandoned she was. She was unable to return to her convent. Her, her family, her Catholic family had rejected her. And she was now also without a husband. And so Martin Luther took it upon himself to marry her. And he sacrificed himself to fulfill her longings. And together, they would become this couple that went on to sacrifice themselves to fulfill the longings of those around them. Apart from raising six kids, they also adopted 11 orphans, and they rarely had any less than 25 guests staying in their little home at any one time. But you see, Martin Luther, Katharina von Bora, they just joined a host, a whole host of Christians throughout history who have all responded to the call to be sacrificial, covenantal, and true redeemers. And the challenge for us today is to join them, to join their ranks. We come now to our final point, the satisfaction of fulfilled longings. So the time of waiting is over. Ruth and Naomi are delivered out of the hands of the commercial redeemer and into the loving embrace of Boaz, the true covenantal redeemer, who sacrifices himself to pay for their redemption. And now comes the satisfaction. Each verse, beginning with, with verse 13, it drips with joy and fulfillment. This is verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. In just one short verse, the satisfaction of all of Boaz and Ruth's longings are captured. Boaz, Boaz's longing to fulfill his role as a redeemer to both the living and the dead, it is fulfilled. He marries Ruth, and together they have a son to carry on Elimelech's name and Elimelech's memory. Ruth's longing for rest is also fulfilled. At one point, Ruth had forfeited that happy, fulfilled life when she left Moab, yet now she has a husband. And by becoming one flesh with Boaz, 
her longing to be accepted as a full citizen and a member of the household of God, of Israel, has been fulfilled. And her rest is finally made complete with a son. Now, if anyone had suspected that God had forsaken her or cursed her, such that she had uh, an ex-husband who died childless, God now vindicates her. He opens her womb and gives her a precious son. And with this short verse, the story of Ruth and Boaz comes to a joyous end with sweet satisfaction. And now as we come to verse 14, we find that the scene changes once more. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. Now where did these women come from? These were the women of the city. These were the same women who welcomed Naomi when she came back from Moab in Ruth chapter 1. These were the same women that Naomi had lamented to about how God had made her life bitter and empty. Now, early on in today's passage, we were at the gate of the city in the courthouse, right? And if you remember, there were only men there, right? You had Boaz, you had the commercial redeemer, you had the elders, the witnesses, all of these men. But now, it's the ladies' turn, right? It's as if all these women are now bringing the baby from Ruth and Boaz's home, and they're bringing the baby over to Naomi's place, and this is a lovely scene. It's a, it's, a, it's a scene of celebration. They parade the baby and they praise Yahweh, who is Naomi's covenantal God, who is the God who did not leave Naomi without a redeemer. But who is this redeemer they are talking about? Here, the women are not referring to Boaz. They are actually referring to the baby. But how is this baby a Naomi's redeemer? The women explain in verse 15, He shall be to you a, a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. And so this baby will restore the life that Naomi had lost, right? The family she had lost, the future she had lost. And this baby, as the heir of the Elimelech family, he would restore what she had lost in chapter 1. This baby would also be the nourisher of her old age, meaning that as they grew older together, this baby would be the one to put food on her table. And here we are reminded of the pain and the poverty that Naomi went through during the famine in chapter 1 and when there was no food in chapter 2. But how are these women so sure, so certain, that this baby will turn out so wonderfully? The women continue. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. The ladies are saying, this baby will surely look after you because he is Ruth's baby. And oh, how Ruth loves you, Naomi. Do you remember how she covenanted herself to you? Do you remember how she took the initiative to put food on your table? Do you remember how she trusted you and took that big risk to propose to Boaz? Now surely Ruth is better than all the sons in the world, any son you could ask for. And this baby will surely be like his mother. And then 
Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. Naomi finally holds the child, the heir of Elimelech, in her hands. And this boy, as she looks at him, this boy should remind her of the two sons that had died. But instead, this boy reminds her of the sweet love of Ruth. And then Naomi puts the child to her breast. And this is just a picture of comfort and satisfaction. And as the women around, as they behold this beautiful scene, they cry out, a son has been born to Naomi. A son has been born to Naomi. And they call their son Obed, which means the one who serves. And they probably mean that this is the child who serves Naomi, for he is the restorer of her life. He is the nourisher of her old age. And with that, each of Naomi's longings are finally and fully satisfied. Now her story comes to a beautiful end. And people want a picture of faith. Here we have a woman surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, a woman who has laid aside every weight and has run with endurance the race set before her. This is a woman, a picture of a woman who has pressed on towards the goal for the upward call of God. And now God has wiped every tear away. He has seen every instance of her suffering and he has redeemed each one of it. You see, we, we often forget that a redeemer not only takes the payment for our longing, no. Let me put it this way, the redeemer not only sacrifices, the redeemer also satisfies us. People, what is on your heart? What is your deep, deep longing? Do you desire to be known, truly known, and truly seen? Is it to have a depth of fellowship and friendship? Is it a longing to know that your life matters, that what you do counts for something? Or are you longing for peace, to finally be free from guilt and anxiety and despair and rejection? To have, are you longing for the assurance, the assurance that your children will turn out okay, that your family will be fine? Are you looking for that assurance that the covenantal God who saved you is right now busy saving your parents, saving your family, saving your friends? And people, in some sense, you and I are called to satisfy these longings that are on each other's hearts. And this mainly happens through our presence in each other's lives. When we eat together, when we journey with those battling with sickness, when we are there for those struggling with anxiety and despair, when we visit the widow, when we extend familiar love to those who are single, when we foster and adopt the orphans. All these things we do, big and small, it's, it's not just about you know, sharing the burden and lessening the pain around. What? No, we do all this for their satisfaction, to be an obed, to be the one who serves. You see, the book of Ruth teaches us that God uses the everyday faithfulness of ordinary people to move other people from despair to hope, 
to bring about unimaginable favor and to give a future to even the most unfulfilled, the most barren of longings. So how can you and I do this in the everyday routines of our family life, our work life, our church life? In what ways can you and I die to ourselves, sacrifice ourselves to absorb the bitterness and emptiness in each other's lives? What are the deep, heartfelt longings of those who surround you? Right? What can you do to help bring satisfaction to them? But I guess as you're hearing this, this might sound like you know, just asking for too much. It's like an impossible requirement for us. It's too demanding. But I just want to end by saying that your efforts are never beyond hope. At the end of the chapter, we see a list of 10 names. And towards the end of this list, we find some names that are more familiar. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. This list of names, it tells us that the whole life and story of Ruth was just to point to someone else who was to come. Through her actions, Ruth may have saved one family, but there was one coming who would save a nation. And this was David, King David, the most celebrated king in Israel. And in the same way, people, there is one who is coming who is the greatest of all redeemers, the greatest of all saviors, he is Jesus, the son of David. He came once before to sacrifice himself in order to absorb our dysfunction, absorb our baggage, absorb our regrets, and absorb our sins. But this time, he is coming to satisfy. He is coming to redeem every unfulfilled longing. He is coming to wipe away every tear. He is coming to bring us through the gates of judgment and to bring us into our eternal home, our eternal rest. And there you and I, we will, we will see one another again. And all the angels will crowd around us singing and praising God and reminding us of the brothers and sisters in Christ who loved us, who are better than all the blood brothers and sisters in this world. And in joy, you and I will look up we will see that amazing man, Jesus, the one who is the source of all this. And as we behold his face, we will realize our labor of love was just a momentary affliction that was preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Would you be a redeemer? But would you sacrifice yourself to point to the one, Jesus, the true Redeemer who is to come? Would you look ahead and realize that you are never beyond hope? And as you meet the longings of those around you, would you lead this world to see that it is also never beyond hope? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website 
at www.agape.org.sg.